0: Hi, I'm Dan Permac, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Facebook. Today's Wednesday, December 16th. The Fed's Q1 GDP forecast is up, Wish stock is down after its big IPO, and we're focused on cannabis consolidation. Earlier today, a pair of big Canadian cannabis companies, Afria and Tilray, announced plans to merge. The combined company would be worth nearly four billion U.S. dollars and would become the world's largest cannabis company in terms of annual sales. Oh, and in case you happen to own stock in one of them, Afria shareholders will own 62 percent of the combined business, but it'll go by the name Tilray. Anyway, why it matters is that this deal reflects both the promise and pitfalls of one of North America's newest legal commodities. On the one hand, legal pot has never been hotter. Several more states legalized it during the November elections, and the House of Representatives even voted for federal legalization just a couple weeks ago, even though the Senate's not planning to take it up. Plus, both Afria and Tilray have partnered with big-name beverage makers to help incorporate cannabis into new liquid products. But on the other hand, neither company has quite gotten the expected sales surge from Canada's move last year to fully legalize. Both company revenues are up a lot year over year, but not quite where some analysts peg them to be, with some pointing to pockets of oversupply. So we want to dig into what today's deal and last month's U.S. elections mean for the future of cannabis with the CEOs of both Afria and Tilray. That conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by Erwin Simon, CEO of Afria, and Brendan Kennedy, CEO of Tilray. So Erwin, give me a little background here or kind of the shortest version of why do this merger?
1: There's no short version. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of exciting things here. Number one, the combination of Afria and Tilray creates the largest global cannabis company with a revenue of close to $900 million. The combination of the two companies in Canada alone has a 20% market share. The synergies and savings from these two companies will be at least $100 million. It broadens the businesses in Europe. It broadens the business in Canada. It gives us a good footprint here in the U.S. to be ready for, you know, legalization when it happens. And you put two great management teams together and you got a team that it's on its way to the Super Bowl and will win the Super Bowl.
0: The Super Bowl, it seems in part, is kind of at some point federal legalization in the U.S. Brendan, am I right about that? Or are you guys going to be just fine if we continue to get this state by state? You know, some things are full legalization, some are partial, and it just becomes a patchwork.
2: I think there's three big opportunities in the world. One is the current opportunity in Canada in terms of adult use. The second is a really quickly developing medical uh, market in Europe. And then third, as you mentioned, is U.S., You know, for this past election cycle, I think it was really important that we saw five ballot measures uh, passed successfully in some very uh, red states, Montana, uh, South Dakota, Mississippi. And so we woke up on a Wednesday in November and had five additional Republican senators suddenly represent a district that has uh, legalized cannabis in some form. And I think that's a huge step uh, as we progress towards the end of Prohibition.
0: You say progress at the end of prohibition. I mean, th- the ultimate goal is federal. And, and I'm curious, I recall you predicting to me, maybe two years ago, we had a conversation that Donald Trump would try to federally legalize marijuana prior to the election. What happened?
2: I, you know, I, <laughs> I don't think that would have been a, a bad decision on his part. You know, When you look at the, the, the states that passed uh, cannabis ballot measures, Cannabis received more votes than uh, the winning candidate for president, the winning candidate for senate, and the governor of those states. And so, cannabis legalization is wild, wildly popular uh, with both Democrats and Republicans. Um, this is no longer an issue that hurts candidates from either party.
0: Irwin, can I ask you? You know, you were talking about some of the you know the savings and the synergies, and obviously, that you guys become the largest cannabis company in terms of revenue. How concerned are you in Canada that regulators might take a dim view of this from a competition standpoint?
1: Again, from a competition standpoint, even at a 30% market share it's still, you know, a small part of the market. So I'm not concerned at all. And uh, if anything, you know, one of the biggest things that this brings to the Canadian market, there need to be consolidation for the industry to really thrive in the Canadian market. The other thing, you know, which the regulators should take a look at, look at this company coming together, look what this company's gonna do, and look what this company can take share away from the illicit market, which they're not getting any tax dollars on. There's drug dealers out there selling drugs, and here is a company that's going to come out there and be able to put safe products in the market, that's gone through regulatory, that's gone through quality control. And by the way, we're basically out there providing employment for a lot you know, of people and we're collecting a lot of tax dollars for the Canadian government. So I hope that they look at this very, very favorable.
0: Why do you feel there is still an illicit marijuana market in places where cannabis is legal? You know, we don't still have a black market for beer or for alcohol. We don't have a black market. For cigarettes, really, not much of one, at least. Why is there still an illicit pot market, given that in places where you're allowed to go to a dispensary or a store and get it?
2: There's parts of Tennessee where you can still buy moonshine out of a, out of a mason jar, but it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty far. Okay, but you're not buying beer out of somebody's trunk. No. I think it really depends on, on the, the, the state model, right? Um, you know, I'm, I'm in Seattle, Washington today where the, the illicit market has essentially been stamped out. Uh, and I'd say the same for Colorado. Um, I, I, although California is really a different scenario, right? There is a, a robust and, and thriving illicit market in in California, and you know the big question for California over the next five years is is how many of those illicit market consumers and producers will migrate to the legal market? I think I think that's the same um, position that Canada is in right now. How quickly will uh, those illicit consumers uh, in, in Canada convert to the to the legal market? And it, frankly, I think it's happening faster than than I would have anticipated three years ago. Um, I, think, I think that migration uh, is more accelerated than, than I expected in Canada. And your question is a perfect question, because if there's
1: legalization, there's tax dollars, you're creating employment, it's going through regulatory, it's stamping out the illicit market. And I think that's why legalization in the US, that's why legalization should happen in Europe, is to get rid of that. Not decriminalization, because it just says then I'm not gonna get charged with anything and I'm gonna to go to my local, you know, illicit market or my local drug dealer. But as Brendan said, you know, in Canada there'll be over three thousand stores. And the big thing here, what the company's gotta do and what a free and will do will really build upon our brands. And consumers then become very brand loyal. And that's how we win market share.
0: Brendan, I asked you earlier about Trump not trying to legalize marijuana pre-election. There obviously was a House measure that passed, but obviously it was going to go nowhere. How do you view in the U.S. the federal politics now with Biden as president, a very slight Democratic House majority and maybe a toss up in the Senate?
2: I think all eyes are on Georgia.
0: Can I ask, when you say all eyes are on Georgia, does that mean you think that if the Democrats win Georgia, that we could actually get federal legalization?
2: I do. You wouldn't see it in the first 100 days, but I think you'd see it in the first, um, potentially in the first year. I do think that this next election cycle, um, I know we just got through one, but looking down the road a year or two years, I think you will see, had it not been for COVID, you would have seen another three or four states, Idaho. Uh, Oklahoma, uh, Missouri, you know, not um, liberal bastions that would have had cannabis legalization measures, but they just couldn't collect the signatures in in COVID. And so I I think once you flip another, you know, five or six uh, Republican senators, you know, three or four states, I think that's the end. The current position is unsustainable.
0: Erwin, final question for you. And this is a geographic question. You know, we've been talking about the U.S. We've been talking about Canada. You mentioned expansion into Europe. Is there a fourth large market that you see yourselves being able to get into? Or, or is there not the political will in Asia, Latin America, Africa?
1: Great question. I see the opportunity in India and Asia as big opportunities today. Cannabis, you know, is used in so many med- medicines in India. Cannabis is a bit is used by so many different consumers in India. You know, it's not legal and it's not illegal. So I see a major opportunity in India with over a billion population and and the same with Asia in regards to medicines, in regards for recreational. So I see those two markets as major, major markets that ultimately cannabis will be either legalized or there will be opportunities in in regards to medical cannabis. So that is another big caveat and another big uh, opportunity for us to grow our businesses.
0: Erwin Simon, Brendan Kennedy, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back. What we're watching today is Bitcoin, which topped $20,000 for the first time ever. For context, it was below $7,000 at this time last year, with the rally largely being pegged to a domino buying effect among some well-known Wall Street and Silicon Valley investors. In other words, someone like Paul Tudor Jones buys Bitcoin, and then other asset managers want to literally keep up with the Joneses. But quick caveat here, before buying into the rocket ship, remember Bitcoin nearly hit the 20,000 mark back in 2017. In 2018, it fell below 4K. Today, we're also continuing to watch the stimulus negotiations. As Senator Joe Manchin first disclosed yesterday on this program, the Senate will attach a compromise bill to the omnibus spending package that's expected to be voted on by the weekend. It would include things like enhanced unemployment benefits and a new round of PPP loans for small businesses, but not state or local aid or COVID related liability protections for schools and businesses. One big change from what Manchin said yesterday, it now appears that direct checks to taxpayers are going to be included following White House pressure. No specifics yet, except that the payouts would be less than the $1,200 many people got in the spring. And finally, we'll be watching the Supreme Court, which today agreed to hear a case about whether or not college athletes should be able to receive compensation beyond tuition and room and board. Specifically, this is the NCAA's appeal of a case it lost in a lower court, which found that the association violated antitrust laws with its current policies. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national chocolate-covered anything day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another. Axios Recap.